1: All blocked, thanks to Advanced Security, included with
0: Cox Panoramic Wi-Fi. Advanced Security must be enabled in the Panoramic Wi-Fi app. Restrictions apply. Welcome in, everyone. This is our first new episode on Deep Dives. Uh, it's going to be called either Thursday Deep Dives or just Deep Dives. And the first ticker we're doing is Nintendo. Uh, ticker for, if you're trading in the United States, it's a Japanese company, but the tickers is N-T-D-O-Y. There's two. There's, there's two. two yeah.
2: That's what we use. Yeah.
0: There's a couple of different ways you can invest in the company just because you're investing in a foreign company in the United States. Uh, but the difference between this show and the fundamental analysis show is we're going to go longer. It's going to have a similar structure, but we're adding a few things that I think will help maybe get a better overview of the business instead of just uh, all right, you should go research this further. This can give a comprehensive overview for anyone that's interested in investing in the company. Including,
2: uh, our third analyst right ian gray ian welcome to the show
1: thanks it's great to be here and, and working with you guys
2: yeah we excited uh, to so dive
1: into nintendo
2: we've got some particular sections just for ian that we've done now and so we've expanded sort of our analysis so this might be a little bit longer than our typical fundamental analysis shows but i'll start with mm-hmm. what nintendo does if you don't know nintendo is a global leader in the interactive entertainment space so They develop, produce, and market software and hardware pretty much for the gaming space. They've branched out a little bit, but we'll talk about that later in the show. If you think about the gaming stack, so uh, from the hardware creation to the game development to being a gameplay publisher, which does a lot of the financing part of the gameplay, um, Nintendo really does all of that, whereas most companies in the gaming space dominate an independent sector, so you'll have like gameplay developers, companies like EA, and then you'll have Sony who creates the PlayStation, that kind of thing Nintendo does it all, um, but as you'd imagine, that brings with it some cyclicality so as hardware sells more uh, game development becomes more lucrative, and you get this major compounding effect because um, once you sort of create this threshold of users then it makes more sense to have more games on there and more developers want to develop for it. But it comes the other way. If, you, if the hardware doesn't sell, people don't want to develop for it. And you basically get this major cyclical event and um, a little bit about the history. Nintendo was founded in 1889. So a long time ago in Japan by Fuzajiro Yamauchi. Remember I'm um, terrible with names. So yeah. This is we're actually, be we're
0: coming out with a big test for you on this first one. This, this um, one's but, tough. Yeah. Um,
2: Originally, they were known as the Nintendo Trading Card Company. For a long time, that's really what they did. But in 1949, Yamauchi's great grandson took over, Hiroshi Yamauchi. They're They're doing so well so far.
0: Yeah.
2: Um, And he led the company until 2002. They started creating games and toys in the 60s. And in 1977, they hired Shigeru Miyamoto. There, there you go. Um, who went on to create uh, Donkey Kong, Legend of Zelda, Super Mario Bros., a bunch of games for the Wii. I mean, he really created the most uh, promising brands that Nintendo has. Um, their history could basically go on forever, but I'll, I'll, I'll leave it with this. In 2017, the Nintendo Switch was released, and as of August 2020, more than 63 million Switches have been sold. So, they, I mean, your parents probably know about them if you're a young investor. Um, If you're older, you probably know about them from way back when, Nintendo 64, all that stuff. They've been Mm -hmm. around for a long time. Uh, Why don't you talk about the industry, Brett?
0: Yeah, this is a new segment, I guess I would call it, for the deep dives compared to the fundamental analysis. I'm just going to go over their industry and basically talk about some of their competition, maybe some of their market numbers. So they, as you said, compete in the gaming industry broadly. You can kind of classify that into two things, hardware, which is the Switch device or historically, um, you know, the GameCube, DS, Game Boy, stuff like that. And then they also do software, which is for games, the games themselves. So developing those, they have actually had a kind of, they're the most vertically integrated of those companies, although they are expanding into more third party, uh, which we'll get to later. Uh, The console market itself is an oligopoly, which is, run by three people and they have nintendo right now with the switch microsoft with the xbox and sony with the playstation they dominate and there's really no other players total units sold has decreased since 2017 for the entire industry but the switch has gathered larger market share in that time and then within that switch has become the number one console the last three years playstation is a close second and xbox is a surprising distant third um, I thought Xbox and PS or PlayStation were closer, but I guess PlayStation does sell a lot more. I think it's close to twice as much. And the new console cycle does start this year for PlayStation and Xbox, which means that there likely will be a boost for their market shares. And Switch may decrease in market share, but that doesn't mean they're not going to sell as many games. And if we get to the playing side, some of the numbers for the entire gaming industry, more than 214 million people in the United States play video games at least one hour a week. So you could say it's ubiquitous at this point. It was a growing market and now it's kind of like television, movies, that kind of thing where it's a part of everyone's life, especially if you're a family with a kid under the age of 18. I would be surprised if they haven't even played video games at least at someone else's house. And then that was kind of an overview of the hardware market. The game market is more fragmented. You have a lot of smaller studios, and then you have big names like EA, which is Electronic Arts, Activision, Blizzard, Take-Two Interactive, Univision, Microsoft, Epic, and then Tencent, the Chinese conglomerate, owns and invests in a ton of Asian games. There's also Sea Limited is a startup in the Southeast Asian area, which they have. So It's a little bigger than a startup. Yeah, or, yeah, they're not a startup. They're uh. They're kind of new to the market compared to a lot of these older companies. Um, The compound annual growth rate of the industry is 9.2% and is already a $150 billion industry as a whole, which is huge, especially like that growth rate plus that industry, industry size. You don't see that very often. Asia Pacific, as you may have guessed, is the largest market. Video games are extremely popular there. Latin America is the fastest growing. And then I think the United States is a large market and it's also growing fairly fast, but it's not. The fastest or the largest market, and then mobile gaming is the biggest section of the market. Uh, but not a lot of studios have succ- sustained success. Hard to say that in uh, in mobile. So EA, you know, Activision, they've kind of been entrenched in a lot of the console markets. But mobile gaming is a lot of hit or miss, and it's mainly controlled by Apple and Google, who take a lot of that market—not uh, market share, but they take that cut uh, for revenue. And then Ian,
2: I think you have the management and ownership uh, segment here.
1: Yep. So dive into a little bit about the the management of the company, the president, which is um, kind of their equivalent of the CEO um, for these Japanese companies, is Shuntaro Furukawa. Um, He became president in 2018 and he's only 48 years old um, today. He's one of the youngest leaders, um, if not the youngest leader in their history, um, but he's worked for the company since 1994 kind of he started up in their accounting department and has worked his way up throughout the, the last 25 years um he's the sixth president of the company which i found to be kind of interesting since it's been you know it's over 100 years old and they've only had six presidents so it's kind of a monumental thing when someone new actually takes over and for him he's stressed the need that nintendo needs to do a better job with games as a service models and mobile games as brett mentioned there's um mobile games is the fastest growing aspect of the gaming industry and so They haven't done, they've had their Pokemon Go hit, but they've had some other flops. And so he really wants to do a good job of growing mobile games. And he has a commitment to experimentation. He wants to let people kind of have the ability to try some things out. Um, A quote from 2019 that he gave was, he said, giving our teams the freedom to experiment with new ideas is something I strongly agree with. Expansion can't happen without the freedom to try something new and the courage to step into unfamiliar territory. This is a little bit of a... um, Kind of a change from their traditional strategy of be- being very conservative and so he people are kind of interested in exactly w- what direction he's going to take the company he's also committed to focusing the company on entertainment and not necessarily technological advances he really wants to he, he thinks that Nintendo is great at entertainment and that's what's ultimately going to um, bring success for the company is just having entertaining games even if they don't have the best graphics or things of that nature um, they don't have really in, any insider ownership, which isn't surprising at this point, since the company has been around for over hundred years, there's not, uh, obviously the founders aren't even still alive. So um, yeah. there's not that'd be quite, <laughs> that'd
0: be quite impressive. If they were. Yeah, it
1: would be <laughs> exactly. So, um, they don't have that magic going for them, but there is some significant institutional ownership. And one thing to note for a lot of, um, you fans of the arc ETFs and Kathy Wood on Twitter, they have been growing a position. So, um, they're big fans of Nintendo, it seems seems like.
2: Yeah, and and that can tend to power a lot of retail investors as well. I think they sort of set uh, that in motion. I know a lot of retail investors track what ARK Invest does. So. It's kind
0: of a surprising position. They're typically more of those growth names um, that Nintendo seems to be the opposite of. But I'll get into the valuation. This is, you know, as we say always with the valuation, it is subject to change. These numbers here aren't... They will be as exact as possible, but the market cap does change because it trades every day. So right now, the market cap is $68 billion, ticker, as I said, N-T-D-O-Y, if you're in the United States. And the price of stock is $71.50 on the American markets, and that's denominated in dollars. Um, The financials here are based somewhat off of the 2020 results, but I also did some Annualized from their latest blowout quarter to kind of show like if they keep up their momentum what those valuation numbers could look like. Their price to sales currently would be about five point six, but if that's a little irrelevant for a mature company like this.
2: Also, that was the that was not including this most recent quarter, correct?
0: Yeah. So this is the trailing fiscal year twenty twenty, which ended sometime this spring. Okay. Their price to operating income was twenty point eight. Price to operating cash flow is almost the exact same, which shows that they're Translating that pretty well there, price to gross profit was 11.5. And then if you annualize the blowout quarter this summer, their valuation will be a lot lower, price to sales of about 4.6, price to gross profit of 8.5, and price to operating income of 12.36. But they are not like, you can't annualize them and give them an ARR. really easily. That's not the type of business this is. So you got to look more on a one-year time horizon or even like a three-year time horizon to really evaluate this type of company. Current ratio at the end of the year was 422%, which is, if you don't know, current assets divided by current liabilities, very easy easy calculation there. And it looks like their dividend yield was about 1.3%, but it was a little confusing looking at their financial statements, trying to calculate that.
2: Okay, and then I'll dive into the earnings. Um, Last quarter, Nintendo reported $3.4 billion in sales. That number might be a little skewed because I did the yen to dollars conversion,
1: which
2: is different now than it would have been when they reported this probably. Uh, But that was up 108% year over year. 47% of the overall platform sales came from hardware. So if you're still thinking of this as purely a hardware business, think about it that's only forty seven percent of the top line is from hardware
0: yeah so about 50 fifty yeah
2: yeah and then uh, gross margin increased from forty eight and a half percent to fifty nine percent in the year which uh, I believe has to do a lot with the increasing digitization of the sales um, and then gen- they generated roughly 1 point four billion in operating profit that grew four hundred twenty-seven twenty seven percent year over year keep in mind that growth rate likely isn't sustainable uh, yeah. yeah definitely not um, but Keep in mind. Yeah. So just the growth rate isn't there, but it will come down fast and people should expect that. Um, and then profit on a per share basis grew about 541%. Uh, they had 126 million in mobile and IP related income. That grew 33%. That was a highlight for me looking at the most recent quarter. They uh, they sold 5.68 million Switch units this quarter as well. 54% was the original Switch and 46% was from the Switch light, their second iteration. Um, unit sales of the switch were up around one hundred sixty seven percent software unit sales which included includes both packaged and downloadable versions of software, grew one hundred twenty three percent as well last year of all the total software sales thirty eight percent were digital this year, probably because of covid uh, that that number is now around fifty six percent for the quarter and that's definitely leading to higher profitability if they're buying so buying them digitally. Um, and they so they have forty percent operating margins, thirty percent net margins. And I think that increase from sales being disk based or hardware based to digital based is here to stay. I don't think that's a temporary shift purely because of COVID.
0: Yeah, I think that's a good assumption to make. Okay. And
2: then Ian, I think you're covering the balance sheet and liquidity as well.
1: Yep. So the first thing to start on the balance sheet, I think, just for for about just about any company. Um but particularly for Nintendo's the cash, they've got about $8 billion in cash, um, you know, at a $68 billion market cap. So a fairly significant um pile of cash. Um part of the, the thing here is they don't really have very many significant liabilities. As, as Brett mentioned, they have a um current ratio over four, which is um pretty high. Just for reference, someone like Disney has about a 1.3 current ratio. Um mm-hmm. it's it's a they're very, very conservative, and I think there's a lot of the biggest question about the balance sheet is not whether they're going to go insolvent or they have liquidity issues. It's more of a question of are they being able to invest the cash that they have at a at a rate that's going to generate returns for investors. Um, it indicates to me that they're either hesitant to invest in their own business, um, maybe maybe out of fear of the future and what's coming, and they want to make sure they have enough cash to withstand um some downturns which you know they've experienced in their past they've had some dry spells in their past and i'm sure it kind of scares them and makes them want to to hold on to cash but given the strength of the ip it seems like they should have plenty of runway to invest um it's a little bit puzzling to me why they why they're holding on to so much cash and not not investing it into the business. But that's that's kind of the main thing to touch on on the balance sheet, I think. Yeah, pretty, pretty easy
0: balance sheet to go over. It's like, all right, we got a ton of cash and nothing complicated at all. And I think we'll have a good discussion about what they should do with the cash if they should buy back stuff on the second half of the show. So for reference, if there's any new listeners, and I guess this is a new type of show that we're doing that's similar to the Fundamental Analysis one, but just for this episode, I'll explain kind of how these go. We're going to go to the ad break and then we're going to hit the second half of the show which is more of a discussion. So this first part, we're trying to get all the information out there. We know you can read about it, but we think it's a good way to just get all the information of a company that you need to know. And then the second half, we're going to go over competitive advantages, which is kind of like the moat, future growth opportunities, and then what we like and dislike, and then kind of discuss, maybe debate some few things, and then kind of decide. We're not going to do any ratings. We actually had to cut that out. um, We'll explain why in some months. Yeah, we'll explain why in a future episode. But... Yeah, we're going to do that, but we're going to hit the ad first, and then we'll get back to the second half of the show. All right, welcome back. Next up, we're going to talk competitive advantages, which is, as you can see in the title, is anything that gives Nintendo an advantage over the competition and can help them generate more profits. I think we'll start here with Ryan. What do you have for this segment? Yeah, so the first one, and this one's
2: kind of obvious, is they have a gold mine of ip um and so they can leverage that in a few different ways um one of which and could be like super mario or uh, what was it super nintendo world i think that could work but there's a billion and different is that ways. a theme park yeah that that's okay. the new theme park i forget where they're planning to build it but um the the point is that it's hard to build ip like this and so that's a major competitive advantage because this makes new hit games a lot easier to develop as they can basically just be newer iterations of old titles. Um, and this also brings in sort of an ensemble capital talked about this, the nostalgia factor um, for parents. So I believe the number was 67% of gamer parents play games with their kids weekly. That was up a, a large percentage from three years ago i can't remember the exact numbers and i
0: don't have any stats on that but it seems like almost all of that when you're playing kids if it's any family related stuff it is Nintendo.
2: yeah and, the, and another competitive advantage that they have is that running the whole stack makes bringing games to market much cheaper and building a successful game it becomes much cheaper when it's your platform
0: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that okay. makes
2: sense and then uh what about you
0: Ah, uh, yeah, I got something similar, uh, but it's a little different. It's the Disney-like ownership of the gaming entertainment brands. It's an easy analogy to make, but it's not exactly the same because they do gaming. Uh, so for gaming, you could think of Nintendo brands like Mario, Pokemon, which they own a 32% stake in Pokemon. So that's a quite a large part of their business. Estimated, it's tough because there's not many disclosures on what Pokemon is worth, but it's estimated to be like 10, 13 billion dollars. Uh, which is quite a large stake versus... Nintendo's stake. Nintendo's stake is worth about $10, $13 billion, depending on, I don't know, Pokemon's market cap, but relative to Nintendo's market cap, that's pretty big. They also own Zelda, Donkey Kong, a lot of other stuff, Animal Crossing. It's kind of like the Disney movies for families that are playing video games. I think it's very valuable and particularly very hard to disrupt. At least that's what it seems like. I don't see anyone coming in and disrupting Marvel and I don't see anyone and coming in and disrupting Mario. I think it's a solid note, really. Um, Ian, do you
1: have any thoughts yeah. on those
0: or do you want to hop into yours?
1: Yeah, I think that those are, that kind of, you know, goes right into some of what I was going to talk about, but I think they have an ex- kind of an advantage of just this tacit knowledge that they've developed over the last, you know, hundred plus years of learning how to make things that people enjoy to play. Right. And they, they just are good at making memorable characters and games that people, you know, they're, they're not always the most cutting edge, edge games, but they're, they're interesting and they're fun. And they, like you said, they involve the whole family. I think another thing to point out is the viral nature of Pokemon Go. Mm. Um, I think there's some kind of mixed reactions about how well they've been able to monetize that and, and how they haven't really been able to really make a big jump into um, mobile gaming. But I think there's something there that just shows their ability to make something that people really enjoy. And um, it's hard to quantify that. And it's hard to get that if you don't just have this years and years of knowledge um, and expertise in doing that. And I think like the CEO has mentioned, experimentation and really just trying to focus on what they're good at entertainment, not necessarily the technology or the cutting edge of um, the world and gaming, but it's really about entertainment.
0: Right, right. Leave the, the cutting-edge technology. I think Microsoft has the competitive advantage there. Uh, but Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and we'll uh, hit up next is future growth opportunities. I think that's self-explanatory as well. So Ryan, we'll start off with you again. What do you have for them?
2: Yeah, so we could have gone a lot of different routes here. Um, they're, 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 I'm, I'm pretty bullish on the company. So uh, If you can't uh, tell. I, I think there was a lot of ways to go, but I'm going to say allowing more third-party engagement on the switch platform could be a big one so ea was pretty vocal about bringing more content to the switch platform on their fourth quarter conference call they stated we are also planning to deliver for more nintendo fans with multiple ea games set to launch on nintendo switch this year so i'm not sure on the exact numbers of how much is uh third party versus nintendo's on their platform how much of the content is theirs uh but there's been a lot more developers developing for the Switch platform. So Fortnite, Rocket League, um, PGA Tour 2K21, I know you like your golf.
0: Yeah, I do. So
2: that sort of validates to me that the Switch is here to stay. You you wouldn't find third-party developers spending time and spending money to develop for the Switch platform if they didn't think it was going to stay.
0: Yeah, I'd agree with that. I'd agree with that. What about you? Oh, my future growth opportunity. It's simple. Uh, Aggressive capital allocation or really more aggressive capital allocation. They don't have to just burn everything and go um, super levered up here, but it might be wishful thinking with their history of being a super conservative company. But in fiscal 2020, they they bought $5.7 billion in treasuries or investment securities that probably yield nothing. Like, I mean, if you know, interest rates, they're bad, especially in Japan. Um, they're negative a lot of the times, but I'd love them to crank up the buyback machine if they're just going to do that because they do generate a ton of free cash flow. I think it's going to generate a lot of free cash flow for the next few years here, at least a few billion a year. Um, I think they were at $3 billion last year. So, I, I mean, they're going to bring in more cash. If you are thinking that Nintendo could be a good return, or that it could 3x from here, or that they could triple their earnings per share. If they buy back a lot of shares during the next few years here, while they do that, the returns will be even better for your portfolio. And I think there's no reason why they can't do that.
2: And Yeah, so I agree with you. And I think the capital allocation can be more aggressive. But we also have to also think they have now taken the mobile and the console, migrated them, or merged them, cutting in a lot of costs in the process so when they cut costs in the process and they generate tons and tons of free cash flow it, it's hard for their cash balance not to accrue and uh, i don't know i mean maybe they are like ian said playing a conservative in case it is cyclical and they need the money for the mm-hmm. downturn but i wouldn't be surprised if the cash balance continued to rise
0: yeah, I would con—I would put that as a negative. I would hope like their current ratio would go down below two and a half at least.
2: Hopefully a higher dividend. I know they said they're going to ramp up supply because the- if you've tried going to a store to buy a Switch, it's been basically impossible um, because they sell out fast. Demand's been really high. Um, and so they've said they're going to spend a lot more money to ramp up supply of those Switch platforms.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. Um, Ian, do you have any thoughts on the capital allocation or – other features. Yeah,
1: I think what you're talking about is exactly the direction they need to go. They got to, they got to find something to do with the cash because it's, there's so many opportunities to, to grow and just with the IP that they have, trying to find ways to get that into people's hands is important. And whether it's switch games, mobile games, augmented reality, movies, merchandise, you know, just they got to figure out ways to get it into people's hands. Um, you know, we, we talked about the theme park earlier. I don't know if that's necessarily going to work or it's not, but I think it's good that they're experimenting. I think there's also some interesting, um, actually, there's some interesting concepts that they could do that are more, um, kind of augmented reality type experiences and different kind of alternative forms of entertainment. that I think people in the aftermath of COVID-19 are really going to be looking for new things to do. Um, you know, everyone's going to want to go back to the movie theaters. Everyone's going to want to go back to theme parks and stuff like that at some point once it's safe. But, I think there's also going to be, you know, just a a longing for for new types of in-person experiences, um, and maybe even ones that can be socially distanced. So um, I don't know exactly where they'll go, but I think if they if they're exploring and experimenting and trying to find augmented reality type experiences, I think that could be an interesting way for them to grow in the future.
0: Right, and. Uh... Listeners should note that they have a 20% stake in Niantic, which made Pokemon Go. So they own Pokemon, or they have a 32% stake in Pokemon, but Niantic has a partnership to make Pokemon Go, that probably the best AR game or the most popular one over the last five years. Uh, And if you think that AR is going to be big, you kind of have some exposure to that with Nintendo. Although that's not really the way we like to invest, if that's kind of your thing. You know, if you think that AR is going to be one of the next big things here, Nintendo could benefit a lot from that,
2: all right highlights
1: and little lights
0: Yeah, do we want to switch it up Ian, do you want to go first so we don't steal any of yours or
1: <laughs> yeah i can right. I can hit it so so a couple of my highlights are are just the young president who's committed to experimentation. that's kind of been one of the themes I've hit on a lot here, but I think having someone that's coming into a fairly conservative company and um, who understands the company he's been in it for you know over twenty five years, but he also seems to see this this brighter future and this room for innovation so um you know i think that that's really interesting and they have a knack for just these big hits right between the Wii, the switch pokemon go you know they just they make these products that just take over the world and get everybody talking about it um with all the cash they've got a lot of optionality um a couple of things that i'm a little bit more worried about are they do seem to have some dry spells like we've talked about they're not super aggressive with cash um and I think, you know, the one the one thought I have had is they probably need to become more like Disney and less like GameStop, you know, they <laughs> not just being so cyclical on these machines coming out or these titles coming out and be be able to kind of stretch out the cycle a little bit more. And I think one thing for concern, one kind of reason to to be a little concerned for the future is with the new cycle of PlayStations and Xboxes coming out. Right. Um, right. It'll be interesting to see how they they kind of are able to respond to that and whether the switch maintains its dominance or if the technological advances are just too much in these new machines
2: and i i think if i'm correct they are planning to launch the switch pro at some point next year which will be the third iteration of the switch which you know it's gonna see how it's gonna be interesting to see how it fares against some of the more technologically advanced
0: consoles that could compete better with them but yeah it will be probably their toughest test yet um this new console cycle because it looks like microsoft and sony have invested a lot in those um those new consoles but it's not the end all be all for them all right ryan do you want to hit your highlights and lowlights and then i'll finish off
2: yeah so in an industry with tons of tailwinds they're cash rich um and they have some of the most valuable brands on the face of the planet Uh, i think pokemon is the most valuable brand on earth um historically yes and they're a business that in my opinion is being decyclified and they're valued like a cyclical and so the reason i say that is they and they've sort of mentioned this is that they're aiming for an iphone like ecosystem where and the the reason i say that is the customer's games are stored in the cloud but the customers can upgrade to new hardware iteration iterations much like the iphone is is done that mm-hmm. sort of yeah. um, style um and like Ian said, the optionality is endless. And I know a lot of people tend to use the word optionality, but when you have brands that you can leverage like that, and they've done movies, they sell merchandise, they have mobile, they can still, I think they still sell playing card games, they own the Mariners, they um, can build a theme park. You know, they really can go anywhere. Um, they own
0: 10% of the Mariners. So it's not real significant, but they own 10% <laughs> of the Seattle Mariners. It's, it's still more like, than I own. Next year is their year. Next, year's <laughs> next, next year's year's year is their yeah, year. Um, Worst playoff
2: drought, so bearish case. Low lights. they do seem reluctant to spend their capital, and they, uh, they, they seem reluctant to spend their time and capital on iOS. Mm-hmm. I would almost appreciate, and that, that might be intentional, but I'd almost appreciate some sort of bundle deal with Apple where they say, all right, Pokemon Go is a part of Apple Arcade or something like that, or mm-hmm. some sort of subscription play
0: there. I disagree with that one because I don't think Apple Arcade is very successful. Um, maybe it's just because I haven't heard about it. They could have millions and millions of users, but I don't think it's that successful. And I don't want, I don't know. I feel like Nintendo's trying to build their own ecosystem. And yeah, with mobile, they're going to have to just be the third party developer. But I don't know. Yeah, they probably should be investing more in the iPhone yeah. or at least iPhone and Android. What about you? Uh, highlights management has strong history of pivoting well. Um, they may pivot very slowly compared to some of the faster-moving players in the industry, and it might seem a little late, but they usually get it right. Um, they don't pump their stock under their earnings releases. They actually kind of do the opposite, sandbag a lot. They don't really talk about stuff. It's super plain. Um, it's actually very boring to read all this stuff, uh, which I think is a good thing because that, that doesn't get any of the hype going, which really doesn't correlate to business success. Um, their growth in digital sales was strong and should increase margins. Um, I do like they're becoming more relaxed with third-party developers. I think that will help with their moats and competitive advantages. And there is that potential for the Switch, as people have said, to become the iPhone for gaming or more iPhone-like. I don't know if people have said it's going to become the iPhone for gaming, but you've made that analogy, Ryan. I think it's there, but I don't think it's strong. Maybe they could become 50% because the iPhone is like the most profitable single product in the history of business. Which would be tough to um, match for sure. And then low lights, uh, they have a history of poor capital allocation, like both of you guys said. The non recurring nature of their business currently is a concern, um, which is why they get that lower valuation. But they have a low floor because that valuation is already priced in. And if they can de cyclify, that'd be a great thing. They'll probably get a boost in earnings and also a boost in the multiple that the market gives them. Um, and then that's really it. Oh, I guess mobile sales are still surprisingly low. I would think they would be better at that, but hopefully within the next five years, they be- can become one of the biggest studios for mobile development. Okay. Uh, I think that's going to wrap it up. Do you want to take us out? Yeah. Before we go, Ian, do we want to talk about where listeners can find you and stay in contact? Because I guess you're kind of our... Ian, Ian Gray Live, right? Ian Gray Live? Or, yep, yeah, if
1: you go, you can find me on Twitter at Ian Gray Live and also mm-hmm. um, iangraylive.com.
2: All right. And what about the substack? There's a
0: substack as well.
1: Yeah, there's a substack that's um, Optimist Investing. You can find that. There's a link to it on Ian Gray Live.
0: All right, perfect. Um, Yeah, seems easy enough. And yeah, I got to read the outro here and it's been a few months, so I got to remember it. Uh, Just remember everyone, we are not financial advisors. Anything we say on this show is not formal advice or recommendation. Thank you guys for listening and we'll see you on our next episode. (laughs) of <laughs> the